0: Hey there, you're listening to PPC Podcast, brought to you by AdStage. I'm your host, Paul Wicker, and this week I spoke with Maddie Carey. She is the director of paid search at Pointed Digital Marketing, and today we talked about taking your paid search campaign internationally. We also talked about Beyonce, because turns out Maddie is a tired Beyonce fan. We reviewed headlines, including the big news that Google has changed the character limit on your text ads, so you have a lot more room to do a lot more stuff. If you'd like to join us on PBC Podcast, we record each Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific at our AdStage headquarters. You can join us live on Blab or pick up our podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you want to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you can get all the news in ad tech, head over to blog.adstage.io. Enjoy the episode. We're joined with Maddie Carey, uh, which has a, uh, you have a great Twitter handle, Maddie Marketer.
1: Oh, thank you, That's
0: <laughs> right. Um, and you are a, uh, I think you were listed as one of the top three favorite speakers at Hero Conference, at least according to Red Ventures. Uh, so I thought uh, it'd be great to have you on the show. We could talk a little bit about what you talked, uh, what you spoke about at Hero Conference, which was international PPC, but it'd be nice to get to know you a little bit, talk about some of the headlines in ad tech. So, sound good?
1: Yeah, sounds great.
0: Awesome, so before we get into international PPC, we usually like to find out a little bit about the marketer, how you got into PPC, why you're doing it for a living, and all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I got into Paid Search about about five years ago now. Um, I actually started out as an intern at Point It, so where I am currently. Um, I started out as a sales intern. Uh, it was not you know, the most fun summer job in the entire world. Um, but I really enjoyed the company and I really enjoyed the people. Um, and it was at a time when Point it was actually uh, quite a bit smaller. Um, and then they brought on some new paid search clients that they needed help with and they asked if they could borrow the sales intern, me, uh, to, to help them out with something. Um, and then from there, I was pretty quickly kind of carried over or pulled in into the paid search team. Um, I started working on mostly the basics like learning the terminology helping out with reporting um helping out uh with like negative keyword expansions and kind of day-to-day client tasks um and i just loved it i loved the problem solving nature of paid search um pointed is also a very team oriented uh company and, and team environment and i kind of then after doing my internship for a year during my senior year of college um, I was brought on full time um, in a junior role, and I've been here ever since. So it's just kind of been over the last really three and a half, four years um, a lot of learning, a lot of new experiences, working with a lot of different sized clients, including some uh, really large enterprise sized clients, um, which has given me a lot of opportunity to now move into the uh, director of page search role. So now I oversee. Um, Our paid search department for the entire agency. So from intern to director, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, in
0: five years, that's like a nice uh, a nice career path, I'd say. And you know, I always think people should take at least one job in sales at some point in their life because it's like a universal skill. Did you find that the things you learned in that job help you in in PPC or in general? Uh, And are you glad you had that job?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think at the time, our sales department was really looking for someone to just do some of the grunt work. And that wasn't even like cold calling, or I wasn't even doing any of that. I was mostly like compiling sales folders and um, trying to fill in like contact sheets. And, um, you know, so it wasn't like it didn't feel truly like a sales internship. It kind of felt like just filling some gaps while the sales team was kind of trying to grow at the time. Um, So uh, I, I mean, it's was, it was definitely interesting now as I have moved into the director role, um, I do appreciate that even before I moved into that role, the more exposure I've gotten to sales or the sales side of things before moving into that, <clears throat> it really helps you um, just get a better understanding of sales at its core is about identifying a need and then understanding how to speak to or provide solutions to that need um, which is a large part of what we do in paid search. It's a large part of what we do as marketers. So um, it, it is great to have some initial background, and I've, I've continued to get more and more exposure to that side of things, of course, now, especially moving in, into the director role.
0: And I hope folks who are interested in working in agencies um, go take any job you can get in an agency because it's, there's usually a lot of movement in, in agencies. People take new jobs, people come, they go. Um, but especially career path changes, I feel like are really common in agencies. So um, Silicon Valley tech agencies, like it's, it's very attractive to a lot of folks. And if you want to get in the agency business, like take any entry level job, even if you're like, you know, 10 years in and you want to change and you want to be advertising, just junior analyst, uh, build some spreadsheets, months, and most folks will it a few times. And, you know, you're a great story of going from uh, intern to director in five years. So uh, one, one more question about your background, which I cannot ask. You're somewhere, some profile on the interwebs. It says that outside of PPC, your biggest loves are your friend's family and queen Beyoncé. Can, can you explain why you love Beyoncé so much?
1: Oh, I mean, uh, it, it's hard to summarize in just a couple words. But yeah, I... Um, it, it's kind of become a large part of, of who I am in it and my, my personality, but I am a huge, huge um, Beyonce fan. I uh, I mean, I've been obsessed with her for a really, really long time. I think everyone to some degree is like some level of Beyonce fan. I think the percentage of people who don't like her is, is incredibly low. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I it's, a, it's a, you know, it's like a religion for me. I mean, I just, I'm obsessed with her. I know all her music. I have all her albums. Um, I've seen her in concert three times now. I just went and saw her. She came to Seattle uh, just a couple of weeks ago and I was in row six. She made eye contact with me. Wow. I cried, uh, <laughs> it was a big deal. So yeah, I just, I mean, I love her and uh, I, uh, I've done presentations that were themed around her um, at FNX and other conferences. I think it's always good to talk about what you love, and if anybody ever wants to talk to me about Beyonce, I can talk about it all day. But yeah, I just, I just think she's uh, the greatest performer of all time. Is what I uh, like to tell people, and I fully, fully believe that. (laughs) So yeah. Okay.
0: Well, you were you were not lying on your profile. All right. I thought you. Not.
1: This that's just you just got like a little bit of the surface. It's it's bad. It's (laughs) a deep inspection. Like I have people who text me and ask me about if they read something in the news about her they ask me if they ask me if it's true like i know like i'm her like friend or i work right. for her which i don't but um yeah it's uh it's a deep seated obsession that i think will be a lifetime a lifetime love
0: okay well you wear that, that obsession well there's much worse obsessions to have in your life so um, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: so uh, speaking of another about ppc a little bit though um, most folks who listen to this podcast are marketers who have been doing a ton of paid search and paid social uh, and always looking for some of these kind of niche topics that are a little bit outside what they do every day. And I think international is a great one because a lot of us spend, and we can kind of be very U.S. centric right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, It's a huge market here in the U.S. Um, Google, uh, there's kind of a long history of doing paid search. So... Um, I know a lot of folks who intend to do international PPC, but just kind of never get around to it. So I'm wondering, like, if I'm, you know, I get most of my business from the US, but I do have like kind of international business and actually AdStage, you know, our company is in this boat where we really are US based, but we have clients all over the world who just go to our website and buy our product. Um, We have no sales or service globally, but we have people in India people in Egypt people in Australia all over the world and we always debate should we take our PPC campaign international so help us make that decision what what's your advice
1: yeah um, I think that there's kind of I mean multiple decision kind of factors that that have to be considered on um, which side you go international because I think the scary part is there's still quite a few people who set up international by just Doing almost a spray and pray type tactic. So they will take their US campaign, it's in English, it's targeting English, all the copies in English, all the keywords are in English. They will duplicate it, they will target all markets, uh, and they'll just say, Yeah, that we're now doing international research, we're good, we've done it. Um, and I think that the most important thing to kind of understand uh, is first. Evaluating if international page search makes sense for you and as an advertiser or looking at your product offering or services, um, as well as um, how do you tailor your tactics to actually speak to international consumers? Because it is more than just localizing copy or localizing keywords. Um, there are certain things that international consumers, especially in the search space, um, there's different ways that they search, number one, but number two, there's different things that they expect from, uh, from the marketing that they're exposed to. And this goes for paid social um, and, you know, any paper click tactic as well. Um, so, I mean, some of those things, so the, the first question, right, is how how do you decide if you should? Right. Um, so number one, can you sell the product or service in that market or in the markets you're considering expanding into? I mean, if the answer is yes, I can sell it, I can ship it, Great, then then it becomes about how do you set up your campaigns accordingly to you know, hit your goal and, and drive the best results. But if your answer is maybe, like, I don't know if I can sell there or maybe I can, but I just don't know where to explore. You can use paid search as as essentially like a prospecting tactic or, or trying to determine if it's a good fit. It, there's more risk involved there, but that is something you can do. Um, but the answer is no. Uh, and I work with clients who want to do international paid search, but they can't sell their product there, or they can't fulfill, or they can't deliver, or the service um, can't be provided there, then obviously like right off the bat, don't look at it, spending and investing money in a space where you can't actually drive your ultimate goal. Um, so I mean, that's question number one. And then number two is, do you actually have some sort of localized experience uh, for your landing page or, or as well as uh, your site? So, um, Most advertisers have their site, obviously in English, if they're US based, um, and then they will consider, uh, you know, expanding internationally and they'll they'll continue to use the same pages. Uh, You know, there is a threshold that uh, certain countries will tolerate um, a very, you know, American English experience. Uh, For example, markets like Canada have an incredibly high threshold for it, which is likely not a surprise, and to us, um, in that, you know, Canadians are very familiar with American brands, American site experiences, um, they know how to navigate it well, they know it well, even doing like currency conversion generally off the top of their head, um, they're comfortable with other markets, um, particularly in certain areas of Western Europe, uh, and APAC, uh, they don't want an English experience, they want a localized experience, they want localized currency. Uh, they want not just keywords directly translated, translated through like a bot service. You know, they want uh, the language to feel natural. They want it to feel like it was written uh, and reviewed by an actual uh, person who speaks the language fluently. Um, so those are some other things you have to consider. If you don't have a localized landing experience, you need to either look at investing in creating one uh, or be aware that if you don't have one and you have no plans to create one, you're likely gonna have an impact to performance based on that depending on what markets you're targeting.
0: Well, and I I know from my experience, everybody always says, let's go international. We'll go to the UK and Australia and Canada because they all speak English. Uh, And maybe maybe India a bit. Um, In those markets that are primarily English speaking, whether it's American dialect or not, um, is there noticeable differences in performance if you don't kind of localize to use you know, British English or or don't use some of the kind of conventions of that uh, country?
1: Yeah, I mean, generally, like I said, some groups are going to have a higher threshold. Canada, especially they, um, you know, if you're not using always like British spelling, there's going to be a little bit more relaxation around that. Um, UK and Australia, though, are pretty sensitive to it, and not even just spelling. There's also just um, common phrases and terminology that they expect to see, and if they don't, it's pretty obvious to them, oh, this is an American ad and it wasn't really tailored to like an Australian or, or, or a, um, a UK search experience. Like for example, um, we work with lots of e-commerce clients who run international campaigns in the UK and they have sales, um, and as do they do uh, in Australia, we run them as well. We actually find that um, there's a variation in how they perceive the word like sale promo versus offer now in the US we don't necessarily use the word promo or promotion that often we don't say like this weekend only like winter promo we don't usually necessarily use that type of messaging We usually use sale or offer or we call out the discount number but in like Australia they're very they are very comfortable with that term and they actually look for that they look for the word promo so there's little like nuances like that that we as a, if you're you know if you're an American searcher based in the U.S. and running search campaigns internationally, if you don't know some of those things, or you haven't researched some of those things, or uh, gotten local insights from someone who's actually based in the country or who's at least more well versed in running search in that country, um, then your copy might not really resonate as well with people, or it will at least stand out because um, it'll be noticeable about what's
0: not doesn't have that local feel. Uh, Um, So, before we get into some of the tactics on how to actually set up these campaigns, I think, Gil, there's a question here, too. Um, Have you ever been in the situation where you actually pitch someone who's not doing international through kind of the agency? So, someone who's not... So sorry, can you repeat the question
1: one more time? Yeah, it's basically like,
0: I guess we have this concept that usually the client wants to be international, and they come to you saying, like, oh, we really need to be in blank country, but as kind of a pitch to the agency, have you, or a pitch to the client rather, do you ever go in and actually recommend expanding?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that the, the reason why the client typically brings it forward first is because they have to usually go through some sort of work on their end to make their product or service available in another country. You know, there's various different Tax laws, um, security laws, um, even just looking at fulfillment, if it's physical product or shipping. Um, There's so many factors that have to go in when you suddenly offer a service. Uh, If you're U.S. based and you're now offering a service or product internationally, that's often why the client comes first. Um, It's because they've usually done a bunch of that legwork and they're coming to you saying, all right, we did all this stuff, can we support it in in our different marketing channels? What can we do in paid search or social or or display or whatever it is um, that they're looking at investing in? Um, But there are times um, when maybe a client isn't considering a specific market um, and you can help them identify that. So one of the other kind of big questions that I um, talk about with clients when they're considering doing international paid search, um, which is one that I think it's harder for clients to think about because it, it, it involves a little bit of kind of uh, egotistical reflection, but ask yourself like, is your brand actually well known in that market? Do people know who you are? And obviously you have a leg up if people are aware and conscious and searching for your brand. Um, So um, that's one way you can highlight it. You can look at search trends for um, either brand names or if your um, client provides a big product or service that has in itself a brand uh, affiliation around it that you can look at search trends on using like Google Trends is a, is a great starting point point. Um, then you can help save them hey you're telling me let's say you want to do international search but you only want to do like let's say Canada and UK but from looking at search trends actually like France and Germany um, there's a higher like, search uh, interest there on your branded terms so this might be a place where you can get your foot in the door maybe the volume is not going to look like the UK um but uh we could actually see some positive results there so that's a way to kind of frame um the question for the client but ultimately um they tend to to come to you first just because they've done a lot of the work on their end themselves to make the product or service available
0: Hmm. um yeah so that's a really good point i guess it's not that easy to just say hey by the way you should be in blank country it's uh there's a lot of other stuff the client probably has to do. Although I imagine in like our business, you know, we're a platform, everything's online. So you pretty much, uh, we use some, you know, Stripe to take care of all our payments, which does all the tax stuff. So I imagine if you're like a B2B marketer, maybe have a shot at it, or, if, you know, you don't have any physical product. It's more, uh, software, but I don't know. Um, you also bring up this like nuance is really important. And in, in paid search, we all know nuance is always important. It's these little things that usually, lead to really good results, right? Uh, It's finding some um, queries in your search query report that are really wasting money or, you know, finding some headlines that are converting much higher. Um, uh, I think uh, Ross in the comments put, you know, there's some of these word differences. So, you know, we call it candy in the US and in Australia, apparently they call it jollies. Um, Mm -hmm. And to get your jollies means two very different things. So (laughs) um, do you you know any of these other kind of examples of uh, keywords gone wrong?
1: ones that i mean come to mind there's more just like uh, it's not always that there's just a completely different word it's more just that um certain phrases are are different but i mean the first one that comes to mind that um, i think of a lot because uh, we work with kind to um, sell like consumer electronics as well as mobile devices um so in germany the term or the translated term for mobile or at least the more common term is the word handy uh which In the U.S., we're not we're not uh, using quite the same way. Uh, But um, in Germany, like if you're using even the word the word mobile in copy, I mean it's not like Germans don't know what that term is. Especially like tech um, heavy words, oftentimes are just in English what they would be um, in a foreign language. Like they're just using that same word because it's considered almost like a a tech term or a tech terminology. but mobile, yes, they'll look at that word. I mean, they know what mobile means, but for them, like, handy is, is the word that they use to describe a mobile device. So if you're wow. selling smartphones um, or mobile devices or mobile accessories and you're not using that term in your copy, it's really not going to resonate with Germans. And Germans, um, especially, really like copy to feel not only well localized, but to be well structured and have really strong um, context and, and obviously be very clear. Um, Germans in general are a, a bit more focused on of being orderly and timely and following rules. Um, so um, they're going to notice that really quickly in your copy, and they're going to immediately know that it's a, an American company. And from their perspective, attempting right. to do certain well.
0: Damn Yankees. Um, <laughs> the poor Germans. If there's some German out there who's not organized and has does not have attention to detail, he or she is must feel like a complete failure. So he's like, you know, the Germans, they only like ads that are well-structured. Um, exactly. yeah, handies and, uh, and jollies.
1: Yeah. I learned a
0: lot of new today. <laughs> That's very true. I can go travel internationally now. Um, so if people are, are setting up global campaigns, what about budgets and bids? Do they generally trend higher or lower? Do they look similar to what you get in the U S?
1: Yeah, that's another great question. So um, I think that kind of tying back to um, what you call that, which is that a lot of folks who at least first say, okay, I'm gonna start to expand internationally. What are the markets they typically pick? Canada, UK, Australia, uh, like you said, possibly India, other markets that have high English speaking populations because then you don't have to, at least the thought is you don't have to do any localization. Though, as we're talking about, we know that uh, you do. but actually, markets like the UK um, and Australia as well. But as, I mean, especially a market like the UK is incredibly competitive. Um, markets like UK, France, Germany, Australia, and um, some other parts, especially Western Europe, um, their search uh, environments or their auctions—they're uh, um, not, you know, a new thing. Like the search market um, and the, just in general, the internet-using population in those countries are uh, very mature, so if you enter into the UK expecting, oh yeah, it's just the US, but less volume, um, you're gonna find that your CPCs are likely gonna be much higher, you're likely going to have to allocate budgets differently because of the competition, and depending on what specific industry uh, you're in, um, your competition could get crazy, uh, depending on what you're looking at. The retail space is incredibly competitive, um, I mean, if you're looking at entertainment industry, gaming uh, especially, um, or gambling, because uh, online gambling is permitted in the UK. Um, those mm-hmm. areas, auditing uh, CPCs, or uh, even just starting max bid upwards of $150, $200 um, just to get anything in the game So, um, it's important to know that just because the market speaks English doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Um, Australia is also incredibly competitive, as well as Australians, because of the way that the country is spread out uh, and where metropolitan areas are located. Uh, Folks in Australia are very sensitive to wanting to buy products that feel local and close to them, including in the online space, because it's that perception of why things can be so far away. Um, You know, Mm. I want things to feel local as possible. Um they're still willing to buy from American brands, but they're definitely gonna lean towards those that have a local experience. So you'll wanna make sure that if you are competing with a lot of other local advertisers, you're gonna have to adjust bids and budgets accordingly
0: in order to be in space. Um two things. One, so your your mic volume goes in and out because I think your mic is like brushing against your shirt. So maybe if you put your other earbud in, it'll like oh, yeah, sure. make it not move around. Um yeah. Is that better? That is better. Um, and then the relevant point, we'll just cut that part out. Um the no, rele-
1: that's good. Sorry
0: about that. No, no, no worries. Um, is, um, oh, the thing that always gets me too, is people fall in love with going international as like, a, you know, things are kind of boring. You know, we have been running your paid search campaigns going pretty well for a few years. You're like, let's go international. But, you know, we're talking a lot about Australia. And I remember at a former company, it was like, let's go to Australia, hire a salesperson, hire a CS, spend some money. Uh, there's only 23 million people in Australia. That's less mm-hmm. than Texas, right? So
1: mm-hmm.
0: some, in the US especially, we forget that the market here is so massive compared to most other countries, you're usually comparing like, you know, uh, apples to oranges. So like going into Australia is like going into Texas. So unless you've spent some time really focusing on Texas, if that's possibly a better market for you, um, I don't think it makes sense necessarily to, to kind of go all in with some of these countries just because they speak English. Agreed. Um, and then the, uh, well actually this is a good question we should take. So uh, Ross asks, do you recommend a country specific domain?
1: Oh, that is a great question. Um, it's totally gonna vary by market. So some markets are um, more aware of it. Um, Australia being one, um, UK as well um, at times. Um, Germans and French uh, or those in France sometimes um, are a bit more sensitive to it. I think what's probably a higher priority um, is just making sure that the experience uh, feels localized and feels like a true, you know, um, for example, like a German site in Germany or a French site in France, um, that's going to be more what stands out to them immediately. Um, you know, we work with advertisers who don't have necessarily um, individual like domains um, per, um, you know, per country, but um, they may have um, specific kind of subdomains uh, or, um, you know, different pages where as long as there's some sort of call out within uh, the URL link um, that, you know, it's, uh, for example, like Australia, so maybe it has AU. Um, or UK, UK, um, then that at least is giving or enabling some trust with the searcher and that you're driving them to an experience that is for their country. I think that more um, what you'll see happening is, um, especially if you're providing something that needs to be uh, delivered, um, you know, you want to just make sure to factor in that the site feels like it's actually a a local site in some way, um, whether that's in how you set up your subdomain or URL params, uh, or if you're buying an individual domain. Um, because they don't want to land on a site that feels like it's in the U.S., because they may hes- hesitate to buy if they think they're shipping from the U.S. They're going to go whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, depending on what, obviously where their country's located, I don't want to do that. That's incredibly expensive. Why would I? Why would I do that? So you want to make sure that um, that's clear to the searcher as as they hit your site, um, as well as as they go through the purchasing path.
0: And what about setting all this up? So if someone is going to kind of spin up an international campaign in I don't know four or five countries, how much? How much time does it take to get the structure set up? And we'll talk about what the structure should look like in a second, but like how much time should I set aside to do this if I'm a medium-sized company?
1: Oh, another great question. And another one, I hate saying it depends, but it it probably does. But I mean, it's obviously going to depend on how many products you're offering or services, um, you know, how many markets you want to enter into, um, many markets uh, have multiple languages. So for example, Canada is not just English. There's roughly 10 to 15% of the Canadian population that speaks French. Uh, or you look at a country like Switzerland, which is um, a highly affluent base. So while the you know, population is small, um, a great place to go if you're selling like higher end products or what are perceived as high quality products. Uh, but they speak German and French, and it's a split uh, leans a little bit more German, but generally it's it's pretty evenly split. So there's other factors like that you have to consider when doing your campaign builds and your keyword builds. Um, I mean, but uh, my general rule of thumb is, um, while you don't want to just take what you do in the US, the U.S. and copy it and you know leave everything as English, it's not wrong to if you have a solid you know general campaign structure. Um, an approach to what you're doing in the us it's not wrong to take that and mimic it accordingly internationally and then basically adjust language adjust localizing copy and keywords and then make tweaks from there um, to kind of basically address the exceptions to the rule per market that are obviously different than what you're doing in the us if you are building something that's like an international program so you want to go from maybe one market or a couple markets to 20 30 40 markets that structure that you build in your campaigns, how you name them, how you group ad groups, how you distinguish between languages and products or services. um, I can tell you from experience because I've worked with a couple of different clients where I've helped them either reshape that or define that. That part of the process is probably the most important piece. It's worth investing the front end time on because if you wanna do a global cross-market reporting structure or if you want to implement a third-party bidding tool and you want to be able to set up uh, various bidding folders and portfolios based on your campaign structure you might as well create consistency and define like a nomenclature now rather than later when you go oh we kind of just you know organize things as we wanted per market account and we you know we kind of just name things as we thought made sense and then later, when you're trying to create some sort of master report or a way to actually, you know, track performance across these different markets and try to sum up everything you've done, it's a giant headache if you don't have some sort of solid um, structure and methodology behind that from the start. So that's that's my biggest piece of advice. I'm sure we could spend a lot of time talking about like how do you set up ad groups and campaigns you know, what different um philosophies there are behind that per market or just even general paid search um, you know, best practices and and even um you know debates about that. But my biggest rule of like thumb that I always follow is make your structures, you know, clean, organized, a solid naming convention across all of what you're doing across markets, because ultimately at the end of the day, someone's gonna ask you, hey, how are we doing across all markets all up to hitting our goal? How are we doing just in the Americas? How are we doing just in Europe? And you wanna have easy ways to sum that up and track performance and actually get some insights from what you're doing rather than spending all your time having to either relabel or reset v lookups or whatever it is um, you know, to get a clear picture.
0: And you um, you remind me of, of something actually. So. Uh, which is also kind of informs, Gil asked if there's any tools that help out um, kind of internationally versus US. But I did want to make this point that um, we, I think we saw, well, we thought it was a bug, where like Twitter, so if you're advertising on Twitter in different markets, you obviously have different currency. So when you start to try to combine stuff, you can find yourself in a weird spot where you're trying to figure out how much you actually spent. And, um, and there's obviously no currency like calculator built into the different networks so just a random tip if you do run campaigns globally you're going to have things running in all different currencies and you know you can't just add them all together obviously and there's a lot of um probably spreadsheets you've already built that don't you know don't realize your budget is not in us dollars so for us we need to go through and if we see different currencies we need to figure out you know we don't show aggregate values or we show an aggregate value with some type of asterisk saying like we've just added these two numbers we don't know you know what currencies they are but um, anyway that's just a tip um, and so any any other tools like for bidding tools do you find most of them work both internationally and domestically or do you have certain tools just for international
1: yeah that's a good question so um I mean, so we kind of have two buckets of clients that we work with internationally. Uh, one of which are a smaller scale, so maybe they're just running campaigns in four, five, six markets. Um, we're typically leveraging, um, you know, in publisher tools like Google's bidding automated rules or uh, portfolio strategies, um, and same Bing automated rules and the likes. Um, so we're, you know, oftentimes leveraging the same kind of tools we would for U.S. Then we have um clients that are usually at the larger or enterprise size level who are doing or running international programs and for them we're typically using a third-party bid management tool um so uh at pointed, I've, I've worked with a couple of different ones um i have familiarity um with uh some with a uh, a lot with marin and, and a lot with adobe media optimizer or amo um those are um uh, the three that i have the most experiences we also have um, folks here who have experience with uh, kenshu Um, there's pros and cons to each i will say that for if you are running a larger scale international program um, what is uh, great about something like uh, adobe media optimizer is their portfolio capabilities essentially allow you to group campaigns that live across multiple accounts um into single portfolios with shared goals. Um, so it makes cross-globe um results or performance uh, results-driven management um, a lot easier, as well as gives opportunities to build and create reports rather than having to basically go in per account and pull data. Um, so things like that have um, made our lives a lot easier for some of our clients that we're using it for. Um, as well as we worked closely with the Adobe team. They don't have this built into their UI. The fingers are always crossed that one day it could come, Um, but they've helped us build reports where um, we actually are exporting um, our data into a consolidated report where we're taking, um, all the cost data is in USD because the accounts are set in USD, Um, but all the revenue that's being tracked um, is in local currency. And then they've helped us set us basically like currency conversion um, in order to get everything in USD. So we're doing a, an actual apples to apples when we're looking at how we're doing across the program because we measure to our return goal. Um, so, you know, Adobe uh, has done that. We've worked with teams at Marin who've helped us create reports like that too. So if you're already using a third party, I would highly recommend talking to them about that. If, you know, you know they also don't have it quite yet built into their, um, their actual UI features, uh, but I can tell you from my end, every time I talk to a third party tool provider, I'm like you guys should do this because lots of companies do international paid search and it's a huge pain when all these different accounts are in different currencies and we can't actually know all up how we're doing uh, or by region or even by you know country grouping so um definitely keep hopefully everyone here who's joining today can continue to be my my voice box and continue to vocalize the need for that feature because it's, it would be fantastic to, to manage campaigns that way
0: well, my day job is to run ad stage, so I have taken hey. your feature request and it's very high on the list for a new hey. product. Um, but for real, though, I, we didn't think much about it in terms of like currency translation. We know the pains of it because every network deals with currencies differently. Um, yeah. So, a, you know, there's some weirdness. I think Ross pointed out, like the MCC won't show uh, show sums, and then uh, Gil had some issues with Bing Ads. Uh, Twitter is like notoriously bad at it, where we like. Uh, we can just we get kind of confused with Twitter on like what currency things are in. So we see the pain points of just trying to even figure out from each network what is the right currency to show. Let alone how do you add up all these different things and keep all the um, uh, what do you call them exchange rates like up to date, right? Because they change. Obviously. That's the big.
1: That's the big challenge is because they change. I mean, really, they can change daily. Um, and having to have some sort of like feed where you're, you know actually pumping in currency conversion change. I mean for every platform it's just it's a huge undertaking. So I, I totally understand why it's not there yet. Yeah. Um, in a perfect world, I'm sure one day it will be across lots of different tools and platforms. Um, but but yeah, I totally get. It. It's it's a it's a challenge. And it's either the tool has to figure out how to do it, which takes a ton of work, or usually the the ownership gets kind of left on the marketer to sit in Excel and set up, you know, currency conversion and do it yeah. ourselves. Excel.
0: So I worked at uh, Capitol Hill for a while. I used to say the world is powered by interns. And now working <laughs> in, in PPC, I know the world is powered by Excel spreadsheets. Because yeah. somewhere yeah. in the back. Everybody's got an yeah. Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> and then there was one other kind of piece of weirdness I think people might not be aware of, is if you're working domestically, not all the features you have here are necessarily available in other countries. And I know there's some extensions I forget which ones exactly, but on AdWords that you can't use in like the UK and because of privacy reasons, sometimes um, different types of um, audience kind of tools, depending on what network you're using, aren't available. Um, Does that often like cause problems or are they usually kind of not that important features?
1: Um, I mean, some of them are smaller scale, but yeah, there's even different rules about, um, I just recently was working on an account where we're running um, some international campaigns and Um, we ran into a weird error on like, Oh, in Australia and UK, you can't show this type of copyrighted content. And it was a weird error that we'd never seen before. And we had to dig in and we didn't really get like a clear answer, but there are, there are things like that that come out around different. I mean, it it tends to be around different privacy laws and copyright laws. Um, and like setting up remarketing audiences, there's going to be different rules in different markets. Um, it's more that it's good to be aware of them and, and kind of have the fluidity to, to move with their, you know, the, the different jabs and punches, and you have to kind of adjust um, per market. There's also even different rules around like shopping campaigns in different international markets. You know, where shopping campaigns can run, what kind of um, details in your feed you have to include. Um, it's more good um, just to be aware of them. I think the the bigger one actually, which I know we haven't um, touched on yet, but um, is that not only that there are different features available and different um, engines worldwide. But that there are also countries that don't all use google as their you know or google doesn't have the highest market share in that market um so that's a whole other additional challenge is if you want to enter into say uh mainland china or uh areas like uh, yandex or uh, south korea uh, some of those markets like google does not uh have the hold on uh the search market share uh other engines do and oftentimes their campaign structures do not look anything like Google's. Their UIs don't look anything like Google's. Uh, though there are, you know, uh, Yandex is starting to make changes to make their campaign types uh, more like Google uh, neighbor. Just recently made some announcements that their structures are going to look a bit more like what we're familiar with in AdWords. Um, Baidu is, is making some changes, um, but it's, it's also that's a whole nother challenge is how do you navigate those publishers, especially when some of their UIs aren't in English and aren't offered in English. Um, or bigger challenges like Baidu, which is always, um, you know, a, a hot buzzword for anybody who's interested in doing search in China um, you can't run campaigns on Baidu without having someone who has uh, basically a local address or who's locally based in China um, doing the media buying so. Baidu is not just a, oh, yeah, I just create an account and I can run campaigns. Um, it's complicated and there's lots of red tape uh, as well as kind of strange rules. And, you know, you might work with someone, a Baidu account rep who will approve you, might work with another one who's going to make you jump through lots of different hoops. Um, you know, as a, if you're based in the U.S., um, entering into some of those engines is is incredibly challenging. And, and it's good to know that going in, that it's not going to be quite like Google just a you know, create an account and set up a credit card. It's gonna be a little bit harder than that.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, because we always, at least I'm always so Google-focused. You just assume Google is dominated everywhere. Um, and it is funny, as well, The all these other networks slowly turn into AdWords. And we saw it here in the U.S. with Bing, yeah. then Facebook, yeah. and then, then Twitter introduced ad sets this year publicly. LinkedIn is the only holdout that doesn't have kind of that level between a campaign and ad, but rumor is they'll be yeah. adding it at some point. So, if you're starting a new uh, search engine or a new social network, build three levels. Just yeah. start with campaign and. Google,
1: Google didn't like make it up just for the hell of it. I mean, it's it's or it's organizational. Like, I mean, that's ultimately what it is. It allows more control on how we group what we're targeting and what we're doing and how we report on things. So, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it is funny to see how um different engines kind of move more towards that format. Um, as well because while Google doesn't have the uh, highest market share in every market, I mean it it's still when you look globally is is you know one of the highest used search engines. So um, they're doing something right. Yeah. They figured out something. I'd say so. <laughs> I'd say um,
0: so. <laughs> so let's talk about a few headlines before we run out of time because yeah. one of them is super relevant to this conversation and um, and a question that's come up about character counts, so Google in their latest conference announced the big news that they're going to give you a ton more space to write headlines uh, and ad copy. And there's been a few kind of um, unclear explanations of what exactly changed, so I'm just going to read real quick um, the latest because there's been some backtracking. So uh, you know, headline used to be 25 characters, Uh, it's now two headlines of 30 characters each. So now you have a total of 60 characters. And if you see the screenshots, you see it's kind of, it literally looks like two headlines next to each other with a dash between the two. Um, <clears throat> so this is a bump now of 35 characters. The description line, um, you know, what's 3535 35 for 70 characters, has now moved to 80 characters. So you get another tear. So that's 45 more characters in the headline and description, or title and description. And then there's a 15 character, what they call URL path. So you can append your display URLs with a you know slash pricing or something like that, which I haven't quite wrapped my head around. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all the like changes to URLs that like Google did with final URLs and URL plates. And now they have URL paths. So it's like a little over my head in terms of. Because <laughs> I don't use any of that stuff um, on a day to day basis, but anyway, now you have fifteen characters to to put some stuff on the back of your display URL. so yep. those are the changes. Um, Google you know has been pretty clear about why they made them they got rid of the right hand side ads, so when they got rid of those, they have no more of the those restraint issues, and like you know it was just a skinny column. You kind of fit a lot of stuff there. so now you don't have right hand rail uh, ads, so the top and bottom ads can now be bigger and they could also match a mobile experience. So it's kind of a more consistent ad experience across everything. Mm-hmm. So, so those were the actual changes and when it comes to international, um, does that help? Does it hurt? Does it make a difference?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say for international, it would help if anything. Um, I don't know for those of you who are, are tuning in, um, I have had so many situations where I'm taking English copy, And uh, working with, like, a localization agency or tool, and I'm trying to move it into German or French particularly. Uh, Those are some of the hardest. But um, Italian, too, um, and other languages. And I'm taking a phrase that's, like, 25 characters or 27, and all of a sudden it's 40 or 45. And I can't fit it in that damn 35 characters. So um, I think, yeah, I think that uh, for um, foreign language, you know, outside of English, yes, Um, It provides more space, so maybe we can get in some of those um, thoughts that in English are written shorter, but um, in very beautiful other languages are are oftentimes longer. Um, As well as I do think, um, I saw someone had a a question, I do think that um, the character length uh, will likely carry over into double byte characters as well. I don't actually have confirmation on that, but I I can't imagine why it wouldn't. So that probably means that double byte character limits will open up a bit more too. Um, which obviously helps helps for those languages. So um, I, I think it should ultimately be a good thing. I think it should be a plus overall.
0: Yeah. the The yeah. only concern some people have is it's just too much ad on the page, mm. um, which is something we're seeing in all networks. Actually, some some other news: Twitter introduced their version of carousel ads. So mm. if you're a Facebook advertiser, you've probably got to uh, got used to carousel ads, which are essentially like they say, a carousel of images or videos. In fact, we yesterday at AdSage released our support, a carousel ads. Um, super popular, they're kind of taking over as the dominant ad type in Facebook. And now Twitter is letting you do them as well, uh, where you can post multiple tweets, videos, images. Although there is some weirdness where you need to get permission from the tweeter to use the tweet in your ad. Um, so which makes me feel like it's a pretty enterprise type solution in the beginning, cause you need, there's a lot of process to go get approval to use tweets. But you can imagine like a Disney, I think actually Disney is in the beta, which is running right now, do something like a bunch of Zootopia tweets and then like some of the voiceover actors who are in it, you know, have a tweet or something like that in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's pretty cool news, but it's, it's this trend of finding more ways to get more stuff in the same ad space. And, mm-hmm. and Google kind of goes the shopping ads are kind of carousel ish. So I think, yeah. cause I was wondering, you could do like text ads that like carousel, but text ads are ugly. Who wants to look at text ads? So
1: They really are. They're not, they're not very pretty. And you know, I, I always live <laughs> in this world of a constant debate, which I say out loud. And then I, you know, as PVC marketers, it kind of makes us all go like, Oh God, I can't believe like you even think those thoughts. But I often ask myself, how much of the ad do consumers actually even really read before clicking i'm sure it totally varies by vertical but i mean when i i know i'm sample size of one Mm -hmm. but when i like look at my search habits and uh, granted I, i probably don't click on ads as much as i used to since i started working in paid search because i'm so conscious that it costs so many money to do that but um i i mean you're oftentimes i think reading the headline You're looking for if it's um you know in the retail space you're looking for pricing and sale and free shipping and you're probably looking at the display url to see what the brand name is um that's like the majority of what you're catching in that like seven seconds maybe that you're looking at search results um but i i think google is i think that's kind of why google has rolled out headline two um to add an additional space to call out some of those things uh you know include a cta or a price or a special offer um things that are going to improve for them for click-through rate especially on purchase driven queries um but yeah I think it's, it's a lot of text and it'll be interesting to see especially on mobile devices you know this whole like oh this will create a more streamlined experience with mobile ads will mirror that of desktop ads um but I still think it'll be interesting to see how the mobile ad format continues to change because I think Google is going to figure out how to make them less text heavy and more visual or action based, especially when you look at how local search trends are moving. Um, I think that that ad format is probably going to continue to change over and over again. So it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Well, with the double title or the double headline, it it does like wrap to two lines on most mobile devices. So it's Mm -hmm. consistent, but it's a little ugly looking. Um, And most of the comments you just made are spot on. I mean, according to Google and the article we uh, linked in in this week in EdTech, they say basically the same thing. Headlines are what dictate what people click on more than anything in your ad, spend the most time optimizing your headlines and call to actions while important aren't as important as getting urgency, uh, sales discounts and calls to authority. Those those are the things Google specifically called out as things that generally lead to, to clicking on an ad. Um, so, uh, as usual, you're you're tapped right into also Google's best practice. Um, one other article I want to talk about, which is really weird, Marketing Land talked about IBM announcing you can you can run cognitive ads. Uh, these are ads that talk back to you, and it's powered by their Watson uh, machine learning algo thingamajig, uh, which is crazy. And and the idea is there are ad units that have like a, a text box, and you can type. you know, questions into the ad and the ad will answer you. And the Mm -hmm. examples were around recipes. Of all things, uh, somebody in the beta is Manwich, like that make like Sloppy Joe sandwiches (laughs) ingredients, Um, which I'm thinking if you're, I don't know if you saw the chat bot. It's essentially a chat bot, right? And they, uh, who is it? Uh, Cortana? One of the companies did a chat bot that went like horribly wrong like people turned it into some like racist uh, Trump supporter or something like yeah. that. And then they have to like take it down. I think it, it sounds like something Microsoft would do. So it was probably Microsoft's uh, the EV I think it was called. Anyway, it's such the same thing. Chatbot, you can chat to it, it talks back. You're supposed to think it's a real person. Um, pretty weird, but um, they are now testing that. So IBM has those running on weather.com and Weatherbug, which are owned weirdly hmm. by IBM. Hmm.
1: I mean, I think it's it's very in line with, like, it could be also IBM trying to get a better understanding of the world of, of voice search and um, people trying to um, interact with technology to, um, you know, do things, turn on the lights, uh, find information, what's the weather, what can I get at the grocery store, you know, Amazon's doing it, uh, Google's doing it, um, Apple, I mean, all, all these different, like, large... Um, tech or consumer electronic organizations are are doing that. Um, I don't know how I'd feel about it something, like an ad talked back to me. It's one thing if it's like some sort of virtual assistant, but like, if an ad talked back to me, I would be, I, I think I'd be a little put off. But I guess if I'm asking it a question, it wouldn't alarm me too much, I guess, but. Yeah, it's weird they call it an ad, because it's
0: really like, it does. what makes it an ad? Because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, man, which, material, but, and what's an ad anymore anyway, right? It's all just new content. Um, (laughs) uh, One other interesting thing I saw out there, Facebook has introduced workplace targeting. So um, we're a LinkedIn API partner, so we have a lot of B2B clients that do a lot of of LinkedIn because you can get super granular in the professional targeting. So, you know, what um, level are you at your company, director, CMO, what's the title, what's the industry? So it looks like Facebook is trying to kind of catch up a bit there. Uh, and get people uh, the ability to target more at the business level. so, and they now allow you to target um, basically a company, It's company targeting. They call it a workplace. There's a limitation. you can only do one workplace per ad set. But pretty interesting, if you're really trying to maybe recruit, uh, one thing we always kind of talk to folks about who run on LinkedIn is obviously it's a really good place to recruit because so a lot of people do their hiring uh, and job research. And uh, usually HR teams are kind of clueless about marketing and clueless about what you can do. Not clueless in a bad way. They just don't have time to think about how to market the job recs. So it's always a great value add for the marketing team to go to HR and say, hey, give, give me some of your budget. I'll go advertise your job listings. Sounds like you can do that on Facebook now as well. Go poach some folks from your competitor.
1: That feels very uh, direct competition with LinkedIn. That's, uh, that's interesting and not surprising, but that, that's definitely interesting. And I didn't know about that, so that's that's cool
0: to know that. And the last thing I have here is Instagram for business. Um, so most people know Instagram; you can get access to the traffic via Facebook. And unfortunately, I feel like most people—that's what they do. They just go into Facebook, they create everything normally, and they check that button that says, you know, Instagram, and they run the same ads on Instagram, which everyone will tell you don't do. You know, it's a different medium, it's a different demographic, it should be a different uh, kind of. Aesthetic that you bring to Instagram, but everybody ignores that and just checks the box, which is why Instagram has blown up It's you know left Pinterest uh, Snapchat in the dust ever since the Facebook acquisition and they kind of crammed it into the Facebook Ads experience but now Instagram is putting out some uh, Some tools specifically for Instagram. So now, you know, you can claim your Instagram profile page And then when you do that, you can get analytics back on the posts that you make and you can promote posts uh, directly on Instagram now, too, which people have been asking for for a very long time. So instead of just running kind of Facebook ads on Instagram, you could actually post uh, an Instagram post like a native post and then promote that post and then see analytics, which reminds me Mm -hmm. of like Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Post a tweet. And then you can promote it and then you can get all kinds of crazy analytics on who shared it, who retweeted, who, et cetera. So that same thing is coming to Instagram.
1: That's cool too. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder, it's been really interesting to see since ads have kind of been introduced uh, within Instagram and, and seeing how often they come up in, in people's feeds and what like engagement looks in them. Um, It's not surprising to hear that they're giving advertisers more tools and how they can, Kind of control or promote posts or um, have like a designated brand um, like profile that they can claim. Um, but it, I wonder how much those ads will continue to open up um, as more and more advertisers either check the box on Facebook or you know um, look at expanding there specifically. Um, it does. It does feel like one of those
0: networks where too many ads would really start to hurt the experience. Yeah. But if anybody's good at balancing them. Yeah. Yeah, it's Facebook. Um, and the, the other thing I'm wondering is if, you know, you have a lot of companies trying to own the conversation between the small business owner and the, or not even small business, the business owner and the consumer. So Twitter, obviously direct message and taking tweet limits off the direct message. Um, Facebook Messenger is building in kind of the ability to chat directly with a, a business owner. So there's clearly some kind of battle going on for this communication and this relationship To be the vehicle. And the way it's being sold in many cases is is as kind of customer service, as like the next generation of customer services. You know, somebody's tweeting at you anyway because they're unhappy. So why don't you just move your customer service flow kind of through Twitter or through Facebook Messenger since people go to your Facebook page more than go to your website if you're a restaurant or something like that. So
1: get it at the source. Might as well do it before another guy creates like the target customer service uh, profile. Might as well you own it rather than someone else creates it and starts responding to customer feedback.
0: Right. Um, Well, Drake. this is totally random, but I saw the news that Drake uh, Drake's Twitter handle got hacked and the headline was like um, Drake's Twitter handle gets hacked and is the most boring hack ever. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't even say anything exciting or or controversial, but um, okay. Well on that note, we should always end on Drake. Uh, Oh, actually we should should be ending on Beyonce. My apologies. Um,
1: No, it's okay. So if, <laughs> if people
0: want to find you, um, where, how can they get in touch with you or find out more about the agency?
1: Yeah, so um, you can reach me with uh, probably always easiest uh, LinkedIn, of course, under Maddie Carey. Um, I'm, our, as I mentioned, our director of page search at Point at Digital Marketing in Seattle. Uh, but um, I'm pretty, really accessible on Twitter at uh, Maddie Marketer, um, as well as uh, if you go to Point underscore it, um, on Twitter. Um, you can tweet at us or, or message us there as well. Um, and then, of course, pointed.com if you want to uh, learn more about us, our company, our team, what we do. Um, that's probably the best ways to reach out to us. And happy to talk to anybody who wants to talk about paid search, wants to talk about Beyonce. Uh, I'm, I'm game for any of it.
0: All right. Uh, well, I appreciate it. I'm going to go kick off some international campaigns with all the knowledge awesome. I learned. And I'll let you know how awesome. it
1: goes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paul. All right. Thanks, Maddie.